Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. And before I bring on my first guest, Michelle Gable, author of the New York Times and USA Today bestselling novel, A Paris Apartment, and I'll See You in Paris, I just want to mention we are wrapping up our fund drive. And if you haven't had a chance to contribute, we are still accepting donations. We are a team of volunteers. If you Visit our website, www.kuci.org. You will see an amazing, eclectic mix of music and public affairs programming. Oh, Sheldon is coming on. Hi. <laughs> Good morning. I, I know you have a guest waiting. I do. I just want to tell you real quickly that uh, we omitted a lot of uh, CDs in the first couple of weeks, and they've been entered into the system now in the premiums. Oh, good. So there's Very a lot nice. of blue CDs and things that you might okay. not have seen initially, but I wanted to mention that. And I do want to mention that uh, if people call in right now and make a $100 pledge, they could actually sit in on your show. That's right. Or I'm, any show. Uh, that's right, but uh, mine's the best, so you want to <laughs> you want to try and get in on that. That's what I love about you. are so humble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you go. I know you have a guest, but All thank right. you for mentioning that, Janine. Have a good show. Okay. Sheldon comes on at 10 o'clock with Cure for the Blues. All right. So, again, um, if you want to call in, 949-824-5824. We would love your support. We are looking uh, to reach our goal of $10,000. For a minimum pledge of thirty-five. you can get one of our cool KUCI T-shirts or a sports bottle or a tote bag or CD or coffee mug or how fast can I talk. Um, <laughs> I do have to bring my guest on. Uh, without further ado, Michelle Gable, author of the national and international bestseller, A Paris Apartment. Good morning, Michelle. How are you? Good. I'm sorry. I just had to plug our fun drive. We're wrapping it up today, but I was anxious to have you on. Thanks for calling in. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So congratulations. You're a New York Times and USA Today bestseller, bestseller with your novels. And um, tell me about the inspiration, the backstory be- behind these books. Well, I've been writing my whole life. Um, when I was 10 years old, my parents kind of saw something in me, and they gave me a book called Someday You'll Write. And kind of from that point forward, I just wrote every day. Um, and then, you know, I, w- I, I grew up in Southern California. I went off to college on the East Coast, and I majored in accounting because I kind of knew, you know, you needed to have um, a day job. And I just kept writing and writing and writing. And finally, I decided to do something and try to get published. Um, so I wrote a book. I was, you know, at 31 at this point. I wrote a book, sent it to my, sent it out to agents. I got an agent, but that book didn't sell, and neither did many, many other books um, that I wrote after that. And after a particularly um, tough. Um, kind of round of rejections. We'd sent out a book, and the editors liked it, and they wanted to buy it, and we were going to have an auction, and then they all dropped out of the auction because, oh, no. uh, you know, debut authors were too hard to sell. A couple weeks after that, my agent saw an article um, about an abandoned Parisian apartment that had mm-hmm. been found after 70 years. She said, you know, she sent it to me and said, I think, you know, you can write something about this, and, and that ended up being my first book. A Paris apartment. You know, it was very intriguing to me. I had an interesting experience when I was in camp. I was, Uh I think I was about 12, and we found an abandoned house. This was in Massachusetts. Oh, my gosh. And uh, we snuck in, which was very stupid. Yeah, but (laughs) But that's what you do when you're 12. (laughs) Yeah, so we snuck in, a bunch of us, and I found, like, old newspapers and magazines and, you know, different pieces of this person's history, and I thought it was so fascinating. Yeah, that is, that, that is really cool. And, it, I mean, you know, that's kind of the good thing about being a kid, right? You you do explore these things without being too cautious. And, yes. Um, 
luckily, you know, it, it turned out. But, yeah, that, the story was just so intriguing, and it intrigued many people. Um, and, you know, I, it just what was in the apartment and, and why did they leave it for 70 years and lock it up? I mm-hmm. mean, it, it was filled floor to tri- Florida ceiling with unimaginable treasures, artwork, and these beautiful pieces, in addition to letters and magazines and newspaper articles and old bills and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of wanted to answer why she left it and who, who lived there. And it turned out there was a famous courtesan of the Belle Epoque that once lived there, um, the woman who died's grandmother. And so I just kind of wanted to interweave those stories and, and also wanted that modern-day component of what must it have been like to see that apartment for the first time after 70 years. Sure, sure. And so have you always been fascinated with stuff like this or it just intrigued you, you know, right away? Yeah, I've always, well, and it's kind of funny because growing up in Southern California, um, and I was telling my, my daughter this, who is 12, she's, you know, I said, you know, she was saying that, she, you know, history is boring. She doesn't like, bo- like history. And I said, you know, when I was your age, I felt that way too. And I don't know if it's because we live in California where the history isn't very long. Sure. <laughs> and um, once I went to school in Virginia, um, I just be- fell in love with the history of the area and just history in general. And so I've always kind of written something since then. Before that, I didn't, but since then with a historical bent. And for my day job, um, I travel quite a bit to Europe. And so I think when my agent saw, and I had just been in Paris, and I think when she saw that this was in Paris, she knows I like to travel, she knows I like history, she mm-hmm. saw, thought this was a perfect fit for me, which it was. I was just fascinated at once from, you know, from the beginning about, this, about the story and the people behind it. Now, I want to back up a second. The theme of the show is Get the Funk Out, and I'm listening to you talk about how tough it was to, you know, mm-hmm. to become a writer, to pitch, and you must have an incredible agent because I know it's very hard to get an agent. So how did you keep your chin up and keep going, you know, when you get all this rejection? Yeah, and it was, you know, you know I talk about how I, I started writing when I was 10, um, I decided to try to find an agent when I was 31, and my first book came out a few weeks before I turned 40, so that's, that's 30 good. years, yeah. um, and, and many rejections in between. I just kept writing and writing and writing and telling myself that, okay, well, if this book doesn't sell, I'll write another book and another book and another book after that, and if mm-hmm. I'm 85 when my first book comes out, then great. I'll good be year. really good at that point. Right. Um, so that was kind of just a mantra that I would just kind of work out the anxiety and stress about it. And, you know, honestly, that I even do that now, you know, if I have a new book coming out, you know, yeah. and reviews are starting to come up, like, just to not worry about it, I just kind of dive into the next project and work on something new. So I just, I believed that I could one day make it happen. I just didn't know how long it would take. And I was realistic. I didn't have enough writer friends. I was realistic that it wasn't going to be something where I'd send it to an agent, the agent would sell it, and I would all of a sudden be, you know, a smash hit. I I just was extremely realistic, and I just, you know, knew I loved to write, and I was going to just keep trying and trying and trying. And did you ever go the route of trying to publish articles and magazines, you know, nonfiction stuff, or did you just focus on books? Yeah, I just focused on books. I mean, I thought about that, you know, as as uh, as any struggling writer would. You kind of look at, okay, how can I, what other avenues can I explore? How can I get my name out there? Um, and I, you know, decided for me it was more about just sticking with the stuff that I love to write instead of trying to write something that might get me more attention, but, yes. you know, wasn't really what I wanted to be writing. And, you know, with a job and with kids, it was sure. with limited time, I really needed to focus on, you know, what I wanted to be writing. Where, where in the day do you find that creative zone? 
Uh, where <laughs> I can, you know, is uh, I don't believe in writer's block. I just think it's what everybody else calls. I don't feel like doing that right now. Um, and we all have that. Yeah. So I'm just I'm I'm very disciplined. You know, I just make sure I'm when I'm not writing a book. Now you're now I'm not writing every day of the year because you're also sometimes waiting for edits back and things like that. But when I'm writing, you know, I have a a, a daily work goal, and I'll get that in wherever I can. So I'm an early riser. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, you know, I can if I don't have to take my kids to school. For 15 minutes, I can get some writing in. And for my second book, I was on a contract, and I had to write it. It was the summer that my first book came out, and um, I was on a deadline, and my girls play competitive softball, which involves a lot of traveling around during the summer. And I wrote almost my entire second book in pencil by hand. You know, you have to drop the kids an hour early to warm up for their practice, so I would go sit in my car and write um, or I would sit you. behind the dugout and write and, you know, yeah. just really literally wherever I could. And I would always stop in the middle of something that's going really well so that way it's easier to pick up the next time and I'm not staring at a blank page. So I have little tricks that's good. and things like that. And the writing's not always good. You know, sometimes maybe right. what I wrote that day will never make it into the book, but right. it's that constant practice. No, it's good. I actually bring a notebook on airplanes and I just crank so out stories and because you have so much focused time especially you know traveling alone yeah and, and I travel quite a bit for my day job and so people always say oh well, with all that traveling how do you write I'm like actually like you said yeah. <laughs> writing on airplanes is great because no distractions right. um, you can just sit down and do it and I like old school I really like pen, mm-hmm. and, pen and paper as opposed to pulling out my notebook my notebook computer because I don't know there's something about just throwing it out there and then editing it and uh, crossing things out in a notebook I like. I know, and it's funny because I did, you know, I did that for my second book by necessity, and then when um, it came time to write my third book, which is done and edited, it'll come out in a year, I, I actually repeated the process, even though I could have had a little more flexibility, but I did handwrite most of it because I felt like I got closer to the characters, mm-hmm. I thought about it more instead of just typing fast fingers. You know, you're thinking about the words you're writing more, um, and then you have that, you know, extra step, too, where you, once you have to type it in, you know, you are thinking about it once again. Right. Have you thought about perhaps turning any of this into a movie? Well, we've sold movie rights to a Paris apartment. So okay. um, it's sort of like a, a translation, right? You kind of sell off the rights and, and, and those people, you know, the movie people do with it what yes. they're going to do. So yes. um, you know, selling rights is no guarantee it will become a movie, but, they're, sure. they're, you know, it's, it's being worked on. They asked me if I wanted to write this screenplay, which I really didn't. I wasn't interested on that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a whole new type of writing I would have to learn. And, and, you know, I I, want to move on to other stories. So, yeah, Yeah. um, it's it's in process. We'll see what happens in the long term. That's interesting process because you write something for, you know, for text and then you hand it over and it could become, as you said, a whole different beast. Yeah, yeah. And people kind of, people often ask, you know, well, doesn't that, aren't you worried? Because what if they, you know, do something horrible with it? And I think, you know, for me, I, I think it would just be interesting to see how somebody else is taking it. They can't put the whole book in a movie, and so it would be interesting for me to see which parts they picked out as this is the important parts of the story, mm-hmm. and here's what we're going to enhance more, do this. So I would actually be interested in, and again, I, somebody told me long ago that it's like a translation, right? And that's very much how I think about it. It's, it's a translation of the original work. Yes, yes. Now, you, you mentioned you have a daughter. Does she enjoy writing? Yeah, but I have two daughters, and they both okay. enjoy writing. And, and it was funny, because the other day, my, my little one, who's 10, was sitting at her desk and, and writing away in a little notebook. And, and, and I was like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm writing a book. Well, I mean, you started writing at 10, and I'm 10, so I need to start going. Aww, what a role model. <laughs> so, and I've taken them, you know, I was on a, 
I just finished a book tour about a month ago, and um, they're, they have slightly different school schedules. So I was lucky enough to be able to take each of them on, on part of a book tour, so, you know, a week for each of them um, to different parts of the country. So it was pretty cool to be able to do that. That's great. Now, did you speak French fluently when you went to Paris? No, 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 no. I mean, I grew up here in uh, San Diego, so I learned Spanish growing up. Uh, okay. I knew a little bit just conversationally from traveling there quite a bit, but definitely uh, not, not a fluent speaker, no. So how were you able to gain access into this apartment to do all this? Well, I haven't seen the inside of the apartment because by the time that that article hit news, mm-hmm. it was because... Um, kind of the newsworthy item was that there was this painting that was found in there and it was sold for over 2 million euro at auction. And so by that point, the items had all been auctioned off. The apartment, you know, closed off. It's a private space, so you can't just kind of go through. So I didn't, I had to just use descriptions and photographs and things like that. But what's really, what's really cool is that for the French edition, um, they actually got the auctioneer who saw the apartment for the first time to write a foreword to my book. Oh, nice. Which was so cool. And I have a translation of it on my website. Um, but I just was so thrilled because it's, you know, my character, the modern day character in a Paris apartment is an auctioneer who sees the apartment for the first time. So here was the real guy. Now, of course, I was a little bit nervous, but um, sure. it was just so cool to read his descriptions. And he included some of his private pictures he took of the place mm-hmm. and uh, things like that. So it was just a really cool um, sort of after the fact um, enhancement, I guess you could say. I love it. Do you want to give the listeners a little synopsis? And by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Michelle Gable, author of the national international bestseller, Paris Apartment. Do you want to give a little synopsis of I'll See You in Paris as well as your other book? Yes. So I'll See You in Paris is my second book, and I actually came up with the idea when I was researching um, a Paris apartment. I looked at everybody as I mentioned, central to this find in the, in the apartment was this portrait done by Giovanni Boldini. And he, you were not anyone unless he painted you back in the day. And so I researched every person he painted, and I came across Gladys Deacon, the Duchess of Marlborough, and I knew at once she had to be in a novel. She um, was known as the most beautiful woman of her era, but also the most intelligent and tempestuous. She bought her own apartment in Paris at age 20, and, and wow. she was a very shrewd stock market player and mm-hmm. made quite a lot of money for herself. She didn't get married for the first time until she was 40, which, you know, if you're beautiful, wealthy, intelligent, that was, you know, unheard of. Sure. And um, when her husband died in the 30s, she disappeared from her palace in the English countryside and turned up in this dilapidated Grey Garden-style manse at in the 70s when she was almost 100 years old and she would pretend she wasn't a duchess and shoot at people and do all these crazy things, but was she paranoid or did she have a reason for that? So I I have her central to my second novel and um, we meet her at this time when she's in this falling down house and um, a young woman has lost her fiancé in the Vietnam War and she comes, she sees an ad to be the, the helpmeet of a cultured English woman, and there's really no requirement other than a love of literature in the English countryside. So she thinks, oh, perfect. I'm going to get over my heartbreak and help this older woman mm-hmm. while she shows up. And, you know, it's this house that's falling down. Guns are going off. There's right. spaniels running everywhere. And then a young man comes to town to write about this woman and, and put her in a biography. And, and they're kind of trying to uncover this woman's past. And then I have a more modern day um, sort of wrapper around it uh, with a kind of post 9 11 era. So oh gosh, that, that's that. my second book. I love it. And what are some, what's some feedback you've heard uh, from some of your readers? 
people, um, it, it, which I love a lot, a lot of people tell me, oh, I, I, I liked the second book even more than the first book. And that always makes me happy. The first book did really well, and it really just surprised me mm-hmm. how, um, you know, how many people liked it and, and just the amount of fan mail I got, people saying, oh, it helped me get through, um, you know, a, a stay at the hospital. It meant so much to me. Oh, it inspired me to take my daughter to Paris. We've always yeah. talked about it. Now we're going to do it. Things like that just blew me away. I, That's great. I, it, you know, you just think of it, oh, it's just a book, and someone will read it, and I'll forget about it two days later. And, and that just really moves me. And then when people say, oh, my gosh, I read your second book. I loved it even more than the first. And that just makes me so happy because, you know, I just want to get better with each book. Sure. Um, yes. So, uh, you know, just, it, just, it just still astounds me when people take the time to email me and say that the book meant something to them. It's just, I'm so grateful for that because most people, even if you love a book, and I'm, I'm the same way, I'm an avid reader, right. I'll wrote, love a book. I never write the author and say, you know, this book meant a lot to me, so thank you. Um, uh, when people do that, I'm just, I'm just blown away. It, I can't even believe it. I think it's great. And you know what's so interesting? You have a, you know, you work in finance. Mm-hmm. You, you still do, right? Um, I'm going to, through the end of this month, and then I'll be done with that. Okay, because you're focusing primarily on your writing? Yeah, it's just getting too difficult to do both. I mean, I would love to do both. I love my job. They've been so supportive. That's good. Um, but now I'm, I'm contracted to have a book out every year through 2019. Uh, it's just getting too hard to do both with the course. family and, and everything else. Of course. I was going to ask how you juggle it all, because that's really difficult to have your brain sectioned off in different compartments, mm-hmm. you know. I do think it helps on some level because... And, and some, I think part of the reason I was hesitant to let go of the other job is, at, you know, when I have the, the other job, which is great, and, 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 it, and it's an organ, you, know, you have to be organized for that job, which I think helps with the writing. But also, because I have that job, writing still feels like an escape to me. It doesn't feel like a job. Of course. So I think I was a little nervous. If I give up the day job, I don't want writing to ever feel like this job for me. Yes, yes. Now, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Um, my website is michellegable.com, and it's Michelle with two L's, G-A-B-L-E.com. And I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. And would you like to share any advice for aspiring writers? Just keep writing and keep persevering. I mean, I, I swear that's the only difference between me and someone who's not published is I didn't give up. I didn't let it get me down. I was determined. I would just keep writing. And you get better with each book. So even if a book never sees the light of day, it's just like practice for a sport or anything else, right? You need the practice. Right. Um, so nothing is wasted. Um, sure. And you just, you have to do it. You can't just talk about, and, and this is what my, when I, on the night of my launch, my parents re-gifted me the book they'd given me when I was 10. They still had it in their oh. house. <laughs> and my mom wrote in it, you know, you, you wrote, you, you didn't talk about someday, you know, you didn't write, say you'd write someday, you wrote every day. You know, I didn't just talk about someday, I did it, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, I think that's just the biggest key. Tell me the name of that book again. It's called Someday You'll, You'll Write. I love that. And what's interesting is that, as you said, you know, you can't expect everything you write to be great. You, mm-hmm. A lot of times it's just a kind of a mind dump. You need to just get it out there. Exactly. And, write about it, and then you tweak it and it becomes better. Yes, Exactly. I want to thank you so much for calling in. I really enjoyed having you on, and um, good luck. I mean, I could really see these becoming films. Thank you so much. Uh, fingers crossed. That'd be wonderful. Oh, great. All right. Well, I enjoyed talking to you, and um, I see you're local to Orange County. Go Chargers. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I'll get to meet you sometime. Yeah, that would be great. Thank right. you so much for having me. Thanks, Michelle. Bye-bye. Take, bye-bye. That was Michelle Gable calling in, author of I'll See You in Paris, and also a Paris apartment. If you missed any part 
of this segment. It will be up on my blog at thefunkoutshow.kuci.org within an hour after I wrap. I do want to remind you of our fun drive, which is wrapping up today. And Sheldon Abbott is standing by to handle the phones if you call 949-824-5824. We'd love to get your pledge, even the simplest amount, $35. We can give you one of our cool T-shirts or a sports bottle, tote bag, CD. Hey, Sheldon. Hey, we, we, have, we have yellow T-shirts and teal colored uh, with the astronaut, all this, the KUCI logo, the dial logo. Nice. All sizes and lots to choose from in there. And for a $50 pledge, you can get two of these T-shirts or two CDs. We have uh, tote bags, mugs. And as the pledge amount goes up, you can get a combo. I, I know I mentioned earlier for $100, it could come on any of your any of the shows here, whether it's your show, my show, or any of the shows. Janine would be the preferred show. Get the Funk Out would be oh, the preferred show. You got the blue show. <laughs> that's a good one. But you are av- that is available. That's true. And yes. also, if you also if you prefer if it's if coming in and joining us on the air and learning about the station doesn't appeal to you. You could choose any one of four items with a hundred dollar pledge, and we do have sh- uh, show tickets. Yes, there are there Concert are shows for the observatory and many others, and we're inputting the blues CDs right now, so there'll be a lot more to choose from by ten o'clock. All right, so the number again nine four nine eight two four. Five eight two four. That's nine four nine eight two four five eight two four. All right, so we'll take a little break. Thanks, Sheldon. Thank you. And we'll take a little break, and then um, I have another guest calling in. Soren Sorensen is going to call in to talk about his personal film, My Father's Vietnam. If you want to view that info about that film, again, that's up on my blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. He'll be on around 9.30, so we'll take a little break, and then we'll be back. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.